Where sky and water meet, where the waves grow sweet, doubt not, reap a cheap, to find all you seek. There is the utter east. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcasts, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. I'm Chase. And thank you so much for joining us today. Just a reminder that we are going to be talking about the fifth book in the series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. The general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up, that we will go on tangents into other stories and pop culture and just things that we enjoy. Uh, we'll give our, you know, do our best to give spoiler warnings if there's anything uh, that's, you know, too far out there. Uh, but today we're going to be discussing the voyage of the Dawn Treader, Chapter Two, on board the Dawn Treader. I'm on board with this, Kel. I'm I'm also on board, Chase. Uh, you know what I'm also on board for? A beautiful what? summary. You want to head? You want to hit one up for us? Beautiful. Is it just my formatting? It is. It's really nice. Lovely. Well, for the summary, uh, so Lucy joins Caspian, Edmund, and Reaped Sheep up on deck and is introduced to their captain, the Lord Drinian. Edmund tells her that Eustace is still in bed. He's uh, sick, and it hasn't done any good to be nice to him, so they decide just to not bother and talk on their own with Caspian. Uh, it's been one year in Earth time since Caspian's coronation and three years in Narnian time because everything makes sense and the rules are always consistent. Caspian tells them that everything has been going very well in Narnia during his reign. He's uh, fought a lot of battles, gotten everything cleaned up. Everybody's happy and friends now. And so he felt good leaving the country under Trumpkin, the dwarf stewardship while he's away at sea. He then tells them that their voyage is to search for the seven friends of Caspian's father, who the evil King Moraz had sent to explore the sea beyond the Lone Islands to get rid of them. So his mission here is to find these seven lords. Reepicheep also has a purpose for the voyage, to get to the far eastern end of the world and there to find Aslan's country. Lucy asks where they are now, and Captain Drinian got out his chart to show them. He explained that they had gotten a good wind out of Caravel, and then they stopped at Galma for a tournament put on by the Duke there, who was hoping Caspian might want to marry his daughter, but she had freckles, so Caspian wasn't feeling it. They continued to sail, but couldn't stop in Terebinthia because there was a disease there, and also the bridge was out. Uh, and then after continuing for several days and chasing off one pirate, they came to the Seven Isles. They rode through the straits and received a good feast and restocked there. They left from that stop six days ago and expected to be at the Lone Islands the day after tomorrow. No one knew what was beyond the Lone Islands, uh, so that would be where the adventure really begins. They decide they should go check on Eustace and his seasickness, and Lucy says, oh, she just wishes she had her magic cordial. Oh, oh wait. Caspian just happens to have it on hand because why not have a MacGuffin around? Uh, so she gets that from Caspian to heal Eustace. Caspian shows them down to a lower cabin in the very bottom of the ship where he insisted that he and Edmund bunk there so Lucy and the captains could keep the nicer rooms above. Uh, Eustace did not look good at all and complained that the storm they were sailing through was too rough, even though it was completely nice fair weather for sailing. 
Lucy gave him a drop from the cordial to heal him, and he said it was beastly stuff, even though his color returned to normal. And instead of being com complaining about his sickness and headache, he started demanding to be uh, brought to a port to file a complaint with the British consul. And people don't know what a British consul is because there's no Britain in Narnia. Shocker. Uh, they finally convinced him that this was not an option, and they toured the rest of the ship. They learned that it was called the Don Treader, and it wasn't as huge as uh, other ships in our world or in Narnian's history because Caspian's ancestors weren't seafaring people, but it was beautifully made, although Eustace would surely find things to dislike and complain about. As they got into life on the ship, Eustace decided to keep a journal of his experiences. His first entry spoke of how small and primitive the ship was, how little Caspian and the others knew about politics, and that he's pretty much done putting up with this annoying mouse that everyone seems to like. The trouble between Eusis and Rebacheep came before even dinner the next day, when for some reason Eusis decided to grab Rebacheep by the tail and swing him around. Naturally, Rebacheep, being a skilled Swordsman and warrior drew his sword and gave two jabs to Eustace's hand to break free. Rebacheep tried to challenge him to a duel. Eustace is a pacifist and didn't understand why he can't take a joke. Uh, Rebacheep gave him a couple of swipes with the blunt side of his blade to teach him a lesson about respect, something Eustace hadn't experienced since his school is lame and doesn't do corporal punishment to children. After telling the story, though, uh, Eustace realized that everyone else is on Rebacheep's side and also takes the idea of a duel seriously. Caspian even offered to lend him a sword. So instead, he apologized to Rebacheep and went to have Lucy bandage his hand. That was a long chapter, Cal. That was a long, that was a long summary, but there was a lot that happened in this chapter. Was, you can't, you know, there, you can't just uh, ignore it. Uh, the theme of this chapter is Edmund Sucks, which is also the theme of the book as a whole, I believe. Um, Eustace sucks. Edmund sucks was the theme of Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. Right, Eustace. Edmund's great. Edmund is awesome. Team Edmund. Yeah. Eustace. Eustace sucks harder than Edmund ever sucked. Yeah, Edmund's just Peter now. Edmund's Peter, and like even when Edmund was Eustace, Edmund was not Eustace. Edmund was just like, it's kind of like kind of a butthole. Eustace is just the worst. Yeah, I mean it's probably because his name. Yeah, I mean you're not wrong. It, I mean. It, if your parents name you Eustace Clarence Scrub, there's not much you can do to work with that. You're going to be a, a pill. Your name is Eustace Clarence Scrub who's listening to this, one of the dozens of you. Uh, we apologize. Actually, no. I'm okay with alienating you, listener. <laughs> well, not well, apologize. If your name is Eustace Clarence Scrub, stop listening to this podcast immediately. Go to your courthouse change your name or better yet dm us on instagram because i would love to know that that's there you go you've heard it here first chase coming in with i maybe not a hot take but uh but <laughs> I mean, what are the odds i'm willing to take that gamble i'm willing, willing to go to well, from fair. 15 to 14 listeners hey, well, something like that that's a that's a significant percentage uh it, it's higher than you'd want higher than you want but uh so we start off the chapter uh, by being introduced to Lord Drinian, uh, who is the captain of the ship, the one, you know, actually making sure that the boat gets to where it needs to go. Um, and then they, you know, try to ask where Eustace is. And 
because he sucks, he's in bed because he uh, is seasick and he's mean to everyone who's tried to be nice to him. Uh, and I mean, this, this does feel like anytime you go on vacation with people and someone just stays in the room for half the time, like if he had a cell phone, he would for sure just be showing on his bone on his phone the entire time. Yeah, it's like he's on in his bed with the like window blinds down, scrolling through TikTok while on. A- nah, he he he's not on TikTok. He's definitely just going through Reddit. Like he's way <laughs> he's too a Reddit guy. He's he's definitely he's not having fun. He's just getting like conspiracy theories on Reddit and he's taking like wormhole. yeah. Uh, that's that's he might, what, be, he might be deep in some Twitter comments. Yeah. He's he's created several accounts to troll people. That's what he does for fun. Uh, but Caspian, it's it's funny because Caspian immediately inherits the like same attitude towards Eustace that Edmund does, and most people do pretty quickly. Where he's like, whatever, I could care less if uh, Edmund is, or if Eustace is here. Uh, we need to talk. And Edmund's like, you're right. We have some exposition to get out of the way. It's been a year for us. How long has it been for you? Caspian's like, three years. Edmund's like, great. Is everything good in Narnia? And Caspian's like, yes, everything's peaceful. Do you think I would have left Narnia if everything was bad? Yes. I mean, I mean if you're asking probably. the question, you would be fleeing, right? But he's like, no. Uh, the decisions great. he makes in the very next chapter tells me he probably doesn't always read every situation perfectly. No, definitely still naive. It's definitely a, a young king still. Uh, but he's like, no, everything's great. Everyone's at peace. We even put together the troublesome giants. Why are the giants always troublesome, right? Were they just aligned with Caspian? Like, I don't understand this. Also, we went from Narnia being a kingdom where no one was even sure anything magical existed to, oh, you know those giants on the frontier that everyone's always complaining about? Like, it... Were the Tamarines just ignoring them up until now? Yes, apparently. Uh, so. They were too close to the water, I guess. Uh, but Also, the water thing, we can talk about this in like a page when we get to the uh, seven, seven lords, but there, there's the stuff from the last book doesn't add up with the stuff of this book. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's definitely times when C.S. Lewis kind of writes a little bit too quick for uh plot device uh and and it leaves himself in some predicaments i mean i think he just doesn't read the previous book before writing the next book i think he definitely definitely didn't have a continuity expert like most authors do now uh who's working on you know making sure that things stay consistent um well if people wanted to complain within the fandom back then they'd have to write him a letter and yeah or they'd call into his radio station uh and I mean, C.S. Lewis did use to respond to like every letter by hand. So Can you imagine if like J.K. Rowling did that with the millions and millions of people who like sent her letters? I mean, I don't even think she responds to Twitter. She never responded to my <laughs> responses anymore. Joe, if you're listening, you probably aren't. I never sent you a letter, but I would love to meet you. Think you're super dope. Yeah, if if you want to go to Universal Studios with Kel and I. We'll, we'll we would, that out. I'd, I'd pay for you to come to Universal Studios with us. Offer extended. We could split that. Yeah, offer extended, Joe. Uh, but 
Uh, we get a nice little expositional dialogue to make sure we are all caught up and that everything's fine in Narnia. We're just going on a pleasure cruise. Uh, and it's uh, it's real fun. Uh, basically, we find out that that Caspian has decided to. He's like, hey, you remember those uh, those lords that uh, my usurping uncle of mine uh, sent away? Uh, and Lucy's like, yes, of course. And none of them were ever heard from again. He's like, yes, right, them. Uh, this, is, this is the part that we really got into in the like day that we were in Narnia before having to go back through the door in the air. You remember that like one time. That like the I don't even know if the Pevensies ever talked about this. I think this was a a side comment that the narrator makes to the reader. I, I think this is like the introductory chapter to Prince Caspian, where it's explaining how Caspian's like dad's friends all were no longer there, so Moraz could take power. It yeah really doesn't come up, and to make it a central thing of this book is fine. It's this, okay. would be, this would be like if in Harry Potter, like at some point in, you know, books one through six, they're, you know, they're like, hey, Dumbledore's got a really cool wand. Okay. And then in book seven, they're just like, hey, BT dubs, that wand can kill everyone. Which I mean, problems, but. don't worry about it. Master, master of plot points. Master of plot points. But no, uh, go back and read the first book. It was all there the whole time. It was all there. Uh, all knew, the you know, she knew all the breadcrumbs. Uh, but uh, he's like, hey, so all those, you know, those lords who were sent off. Well, I want to go find them. Uh, and I told Aslan and with Aslan's approval. Remember, you know, when he was coronated and we saw that whole event take place. Apparently, he made a vow and a sworn oath. And once he established peace, he would go find them or find whatever happened to them. I don't you know, remember this, Chase. I feel like I would have talked about this. Do you remember how Aslan notably disappears at a moment's notice and doesn't reappear for hundreds of years pretty much every time he's seen? Yes, I do remember that because he's not a tame lion. He's not a tame lion. Can't tame that yeah. guy. Also, uh, don't ask any questions. not your story. Now your story. Uh, but he's like, I'm going to go find all of the lords. There's uh, Revillian, Burn, Argos, Mavramorn, Octesian, Restamar, and who's that other one? Bernie Sanders. Nope, it's Lord Roop. Roop did he scoop? Roop, Roop. Uh, but, uh, and he's like, so that's my main goal. Okay. And then we get the second goal of this book and this journey which is that Reepicheep wants to go and find Aslan's country in the far east. And he goes, what if we, uh, you know, we just keep sailing and just keep going? And we discover that Narnia is actually flat um, and you can sail off the edge into Aslan's country. Well, Kel, if I learn anything from either the second or third Pirates of the Caribbean movie, not actually sure. If you sail off the end of the world, you just end up upside down in a desert planet. Correct. Uh, but you have to be lost to find it, you know? Well, of course. You've always got to be lost to find it. Well, if you find yourself, you lose well, your ability to... Kel, you're probably in the last place that you'd look. I am losing track of this conversation. I mean, I think we should just keep doing word association until 
no one's listening to the podcast. Life is kind of like a boat, Chase. Um, the, and the, no one else has life and boats and, and tigers for that matter. Pie. The, the, the sails are like your energy and, and the, the bow is like your head. The wind is ironically still wind in both, uh, both places. I mean, you got to have some kind of through line. Yeah. Um, pull us back into the book. I just did want to say that all of the lords sound like Pokemon. That's all. That's extremely fair. Um, and I, that's now how I will picture them uh, moving forward. Uh, but uh, we discover that Reaper Cheap is wanting to sail and find what Aslan's country is. And Lucy asks a great question where she's like, do you think Aslan's country is that sort of country? Like one that physically exists on a map? Uh, which is honestly a great question. Uh, and Reaper Cheap is like, I don't know. But uh, all I do know is I was sung this nursery rhyme uh, when I was a child. Uh, this little, uh, my uh, my nurse, who was a dryad, uh, would cradle me and, and sing to me. Apparently, dryads take care of talking mouse. Uh, but of course. Do you, was Reaper Cheap a pet? That feels rude to ask. No, because they were blessed with uh, with talking. Because remember, Chase, as we all know, uh, the mice were the ones that freed Aslan from his binds. Look, I mean, there's a sense in which I am my puppy's nurse or parent, but I don't think he, I, like, he's my pet from my perspective. I but am you, you as his owner. I am his parent in his perspective. I don't. I don't think. I, I think Reba Cheap might be. be this dryad pet. <laughs> but regardless, this dryad sings this little nursery rhyme and says, "Where sky and water meet, where the waves grow sweet, doubt not, Reba Cheap, to find all you seek. There is the utter east." And says, "I don't know what it means, but I think about it all the time, and I think I need to go east." I mean, you know how we all claim nursery rhymes as our destinies. Huh. Yes, uh, that's why I've been looking for uh, my my little lamb for a long time. Uh, and I've just been waiting for the moment where we all fall down, personally. Yes, uh, and I think the past two years have been that, Chase. Uh, I, two, five, ten, I mean, it's it's been a rough time. We've been down for a while. Uh, but uh, so my, like, my problem started before 2020, but uh, it's... <laughs> It's just a magnifying glass. Yeah. And so after we get the uh, the goals of the voyage, uh, they're like, hey, so where are we? And he points to a map and says, there, which is really unhelpful for anyone who is reading. Because do you know what we can't see, Chase? Where he's pointing? Yeah. But he does tell us a wonderful step-by-step like log chart of every place they've been and what happened there and how long till the next place. Man, I, I feel like he is setting them up for some hard obstacles ahead because like every story about someone in a ship, it's like, it's notoriously difficult to sail like without power or anything like that. And they're like, man, it's been dope. We started, we, you know, had great wind the whole time. We had a feast and a tournament at this place. And, you know, uh, 
we like tried to set Caspian up with this king's daughter, uh, but uh, she had squints and freckles, uh, so that wasn't going to work out. You do need to talk about that. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to that here in a sec because we'll rewind. But like, oh yeah, we're we're going to stay in uh, Terabinthia. But as you reminded us, Terabinthia is an imaginary land where the bridge that doesn't exist. Uh, so couldn't go there, but it's a we good had thing a they didn't try to jump while it was raining. That would have yeah. gone badly. Could have ended his death. Yeah, it's uh, you don't want. We wouldn't want uses to have to jump over that, and then Edmund and Lucy to spend the rest of their lives feeling guilty for their cousin's death. Would have been rough. The actual plot of Bridge to Terramanthia, we did give a spoiler warning of at the top of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's that, but. They're like, and then we almost got overtaken by a pirate, but then she saw that we were stronger, and so she left. Uh, and so uh, we're good. And then, again, there's a lot of stuff in here we're going to cover because we need to. But basically, he's like, everything's been great, uh, and it's awesome, uh, and we've made marvelous speed. I feel like he's definitely setting them up to have a terrible rest of their journey. Also, they've been at sea for nearly 30 days. Yes. Like, Kel, have you ever been on a cruise? I have. It's like a week is good. Like it, it starts to feel like, okay, I'm ready to be back on land. After yeah. that point. But to be fair, and we'll talk about like. Those I are giant have... pleasure boats. Those are giant cities on, on water. Yeah. <laughs> Those are not small, <laughs> tiny. They are taking lots of stops and breaks. Like they've stopped at a lot of islands and like ported for a while because I did the math. cruises. (laughs) I I did something that I think is novel to this podcast and I prepared a little bit. What? Yes. Because it's how dare you? They've been sailing for 30 days and are more than 400 leagues from Narnia. I looked up because I don't know because I'm not a sailor. Uh I didn't know how far a league, a nautical league was. It's about three and a half miles, a little under three and a half miles. And so uh, they have traveled about 1,380 miles in a month, which breaks down to about 46 miles a day. That's not far. Like they have, like in a month on a boat, you should be able to go way further. Yeah. What so I'm they're not going fast. Is that 10,000 leagues under the sea? They're 35,000 miles underwater. Which <laughs> not possible. Not possible because the earth is what like 24 in diameter. That's I I could not tell you, but I feel like it's less less than that. Let's see. Uh you know, uh earth diameter. Guys, you're seeing the process in action. Uh oh yeah, it's way less. Earth is 7,917 miles in diameter, which that's that's easy. That's less than miles than I put on my car in the last like two months. Yeah. So like approximately, you know, we're dealing with a little, like we're dealing with like 2,300 nautical leagues. So 10,000 leagues under the sea is foolishness. Yeah. That's uh, man. This is why we're here, folks, to bust literary myths. Like 10,000 meters? Sure. Yeah. It's doable. That sounds great. 10,000 leagues? Foolish. It's ridiculous. You'd end up 3,000 miles on the other side of the earth. 
in the space. Maybe it was a space book the whole time. To be honest, I don't think I've read it. So uh, I have not, but I've seen an old cartoon. So that's something. Sure. Uh, but so now we need to break down some of the things that are said in this little spiel. Uh, so they first say, hey, uh, the Duke would have been really pumped if Caspian would have married his daughter, but nothing came of that. And Caspian interjects going, squints and freckles. And Lucy, Lucy says, says, oh, poor girl. Chase, here's the thing. I have squints and I know people who have freckles. This feels like something that is not that big of a deal. So by squints, he, does he mean that sh- she has bad eyesight or does he mean that she has like narrower eyes? Could be either. Either way, it's a problem. It's but not great because, like, is this also arguably in the movie that is Susan's actress and Caspian and her get along fine? Yeah, just in the movie, not in the books. Sure, but like, neither of these feel like characteristics that are like dumpable, you know? No, and I mean, look, I've been on a good number of dates in the last month as I've tried to get back out there on these apps. Bad time. Don't recommend it, especially to you young listeners. Just don't date at all. It's not worth it. Hey, dude, Paul recommends being single your whole life, so. I mean, but that's not of God, so it's it's fine. Could be. But uh, this just feels so shallow of Caspian. It's, it's pretty funny. Like, it, it's shallow and terrible and a bad thing to say out loud, but it's pretty funny. It's like reminds me of when like my cousins who are both in high school talk about people who like are, they're either like into or are into them. And they're so, so mean because Gen Z is so, so mean. Not sorry to all Gen Z listeners. Uh, I'm a student pastor and I can a hundred percent affirm this. Like you don't got to be that honest to, (laughs) Let's be real. But we move on from uh, shallow Caspian uh, and we talk about Terebinthia, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. So not really too much to go into there, but they meet a pirate and this pirate decides to try to board them. But then she sees the the, the pirate sees that they are well armed and she decides to, uh, you know, just run away. And Reba, she comes in with, like real capital punishment vibes. It was like, we ought to have given her chase, border, and hanged every mother's son of them. Uh, Reva Cheap, definitely a fan of the death penalty. Yeah, Reva Cheap is all in on this. And it's, uh, I mean, it, it's it's a character flaw. Like, listen, for Reva whatever Cheap, reason, yeah. Reva Cheap is the only person to go to heaven in this book. But... We could have had him become less prideful or like maybe a little bit less quick. Let's be real, Chase. That's his best character trait. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's his most fun character trait. His pride is the most fun thing to read. Uh, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's the most fun thing to read. Do we recommend it for our listeners? No. No. Nah, but... Like, but Reba Cheap's sitting here. He's the meme of like 
the guy like smoking a cigar where he's like, capital punishment, corporal punishment, don't matter. Reap a cheap in six. Like he's uh he's he's got it. Which we will come to corporal punishment later in this chapter because it's packed. We're like halfway through. We might need to speed up. Thank you. Uh, but uh, we're you know <laughs> yeah we we'll 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 pick our speed up uh, just like the 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 voyage of the dawn treader. Uh, but they're like yeah we're you know make it to the to the seven isles and it's gonna be great and. Then uh, they decide, like, okay, cool, we're almost at the Lone Islands, and what's after that? No one knows. And Reaper Jeep's like, that's when the adventure really begins. Then Which setting out group, great attitude. Yeah, it, it is interesting that Lucy and Emma are like, yeah, no one even knew back in our days, and it's like, yep, yep, yep. yep. And, uh, so we make our way through, and Lucy finally uh, gets smote by her conscience. Uh, which great phrase uh, and is like, I feel really bad for Eustace. Uh, if only I had my, you know, cordial of healing any sickness, except for growing back a tail, uh, then I could help Eustace with his seasickness. And Caspian's like, Oh, what a coinky dink. I happen to have brought your vial and you can go and use that, but it feels like a waste to use it on seasickness, which is code for saying, I think it's a waste to use it on Eustace because he sucks. Which fair, fair, uh, and she's also like, she uses it for all sorts of random stuff. Yeah, I think it's uh. interesting that he's like, so I'd forgotten about it, but you left it behind, so I thought we should regard it as one of the royal treasures, and so I brought it. Like, why would you bring a royal treasure on a boat? That's like the opposite of what you should do with the royal treasures. No, you bring nothing on a boat that you don't mind getting wet. Yeah, going on a boat is like going to camp. Don't bring anything that you're not okay with losing. Absolutely. And when every time I go to camp and a kid brings their phone and the phone gets, you know, the screen breaks or gets stolen or they forget it and I, they go, Kel, what are you going to do about this? And I'm going to go, I go home and take a nap. So I'm going to do about it. Yeah. It makes me think of in college working at a sports camp during the summers and these baseball kids would show up with their Oakleys. And these are like 11 year olds with Oakleys and like nine out of 10 of them would not go home with sunglasses. It's, it's tough. Find them in the woods. It's ridiculous. Sure. But he gives Lucy the vial. uh, And we uh, then before we get to, uh, to Eustace's healing, we get a nice little uh, like tour of the boat. They're telling us all about the different parts of the boat. Uh, and he goes out of his way. And there's going to be a theme between this chapter and next and the, the one after that. And, you know, probably a few times throughout this book is C.S. Lewis kind of like shoehorns in some anti-slavery things in here, which is great. You know, slave, slavery is terrible. Uh, but he's like, they're talking about like the places where you, you know, every ship, this big old wooden ship, it's got places where you row. And he goes, of course, Caspian ship was not that horrible thing. A galley rowed by slaves. Uh, uh, oars were used only when failed, uh, only when wind failed or for getting in and out of harbor. And everyone, except for Reaper Chief, whose legs were too short, had often taken a turn. He's like, hey, just want to make sure this boat not driven by slaves. Everybody on the boat is participating and getting this boat where it needs to go, and yeah, it it you're right. It is foreshadowing for what we'll talk about next chapter, but also like 
I do appreciate that C.S. Lewis is aware of history enough to like think that's worth saying. Like yeah. he wrote that and thought, oh, well, one of the few contexts that people have for people rowing boats is this horrible thing. I should mention that. Yeah, that is really fair, which is good, you know, and trying to make sure that like, hey, you're, the characters that you're rooting for are still able to be rooted for because they don't condone slavery. And he's going to do this in the next chapter as well with a different character um, and in, in a funny way. But uh, we continue to get a tour of the boat and all the foods and everything that are on there, um, how far it is. And Chase, here's the deal. And listeners, uh, if you're still with us, I feel like this is not a spoiler warning, but more of an immaturity warning. Anytime, and there are many times in this book where the word poop is going to be used in, ref- in reference to the area of a boat where people congregate, the poop deck. And I'm never not going to laugh when I read Lucy just came from the poop or something along those lines. It's hilarious, Chase. The poop diddy scoop deck? The whoop diddy poop roop scoop. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so every time I read poop, I'm going to laugh and I'm going to make note of it. And I just want listeners to be aware of that. Shout out to the artist formerly known as Kanye. Didn't know if, uh, you know, leader or if the listeners were expecting maturity and, uh, you know, some really sophisticated prose in this, in this podcast, but nope, poop jokes. Uh, it's, it's there, tough getting worse. <laughs> We've done worse on this podcast. Tough getting out of the poop. And it's not as nice. The poop is not as nice as other parts of the boat. That's, that's fair. It never is. It never is. Uh, But getting out of the poop, which is something you got to do. Edmund and Caspian are talking and Caspian's like, hey, you and I are going to lodge up here and uh, we're going to leave Eustace in the bunk because he sucks. And then you and I are going to just put up some hammocks. We're going to have a good time. And then Drinian's like, no, you take the king's quarters. And Caspian's like, no. Like, and this is one of those things where I'm like, man, Caspian, really respect this move on your part. Caspian's like, listen. I'm not a sailor. You are. You're going to do a lot harder work than me. And I'm probably just going to tell stories and like have a good time on this boat. I don't need to be in a nice cabin. You and Rince, who is, man, talk about a name. Uh, the first mate, his name is Rince. Like R-H-I-N, like Rhino, C-E. So Rince, Rince. With, with a hard eight, Rince. Prince. Uh, but he's like, no, y'all take the cabin. It's foolish for me to be there. And then Eustace finally comes out uh, of his, you know, of his bunk. And he's like, man, has the storm, like, is there any sign of the storm getting better? And like, it's like one of those things where it's like, if this was a show, they would pan out and show like clear, sunny skies, like no waves. And everyone's like, bro, what are you talking about? Yeah. There's no storm. Uh, and they just start to roast him. And Eustace is like, all right, go away. Like, send send these people away. It makes my head hurt. Uh, and Lucy's like, hey, take this. It's going to make you feel better. And Eustace can't even pretend to, like, like this thing that is delicious and that everyone thinks is the best thing in the world because he sucks so much, Chase. Yeah. He, 
like literally like she opens the bottle, the entire room starts smelling amazing. And he immediately starts looking the right color instead of green, but he still has to go out of his way to say it's beastly stuff. Like he's just the worst. Because people can't just do nice things for him. Uh, but he's he's like, he starts to feel better. And then he goes, I'm going to lodge a disposition uh, against all of them with the British consul. And they're like, who? What? You're not aware at this point that you've been sucked into a magical land. Like you made your way into a painting. What do you think Britain's going to do about this? Yeah. It it took some work to convince him that they couldn't get him back to Cambridge, which I don't know if that's a like British slight to be like, well, you know, he's from Cambridge. Like, of I mean, all that I know about Cambridge is it's a nice school, so maybe yeah. he's hoity toity, but I don't know. I, mean, I that's the vibe I got from saying he's from Cambridge. I yep. just don't know whether that's accurate. If you're British, please reach out. Tell us. What are the if you're British? Please give us a geographical stereotyping of everywhere in England. That would be great for us to read. Yeah, that would. We would do a whole podcast just on that. I'd take a pause for it willingly, totally. Uh, but he, you know, gets his fresh clothes put on, and uh, they're back and ready to uh, get more, you know, tour of the boat. And they get we get a nice description of of the of the of the boat and they're like hey you know normally on like a big cruise ship or like a steamship you'd put all the stuff behind because you're powering you don't want all the you know stuff to you know, like the steam or the smoke to like clog the ship but on a uh, on a sailing ship the wind is always behind you so you put all the smelly things like the poop on the front uh and so you make sure that everything like there is at the front of the boat because it'll blow into the sea uh and once they're back on the poop uh, they, you know, we finally get the name of the ship, Chase, which is the Dawn Treader. I think we can end the book. We are voyaging on the Dawn Treader. Yep. Mission accomplished. We Mission did accomplished. it. We did Good it. job, guys. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Uh, please uh, rate and review. Um, no, we've got like three more pages. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got a lot still going on in this chapter alone. Uh, but he... Uh, like we, what we we find out is Voyage of the, or the Dawn Treader itself is actually a smaller ship than what you would expect because when Uncle Moraz uh, had usurped and everything, he had sent all the lords off, and then he had kind of destroyed a lot of the seafaring technology. And Caspian uh, was making the he was teaching the Narians to be a seafaring folk once more. And as I was reading this section, Chase, I got strong Moana vibes. Um, <laughs> Because basically in this scenario, Miraz is like, no, the ocean is dangerous. We don't go into the ocean. And then Caspian's like, but we have to go into the ocean to save Tafiti. I mean, the lords that you, you, you rescued. So we need to become a seafaring people again. Like, Kel, does anyone know how far it goes? Uh, Aslan. But, I mean, we don't know how far Caspian will go until he goes. But he's the one that the ocean has chosen or Aslan. The, the magic ocean spirits are guiding him. Some would say there's an argument for this, uh, but uh, so yeah. Why don't uh, they bring like one of these water guards, gods from Narnia along just to like. Great point. Like the giant bearded uh, river water 
Got yeah, they they have that. It would have been really helpful. This trip would have been faster. Yeah, sure. he could have pushed them. They would never need to row again. No, and their Greek gods are there. So I mean, what is it? A, a-, a- Aeolus or something like that? Who's like the wind god and who like brings the the like se- the winds of the seven seas for Odysseus? Like, I tell mean, me that they couldn't have found him. You couldn't have gotten Dionysus over there. Or, this uh, is the Odyssey, but Narnia. So I'm just saying we could have had this. Could have had this, and they're they're missing they're missing out on it. Uh, but as King Moana uh, continues to talk about the Don Treader, we find out that though it is small, it is beautiful, and everyone except for Eustace, because he sucks, is really impressed with the boat, uh, and everyone loves it and is loving sailing. But Eustace, because he sucks, decides to keep a diary to make sure that all of his future readers, probably less than are listening to this podcast. Uh, are aware of how much this journey sucks and chase his diary entry. Hilarious. It's hysterical. It's funny. Do we want to read it through? I don't know if we want to read it all the way through because it's long, but I do want to read snippets. Basically, this diary entry is the equivalent of the person who's always bitter. It like Eustace is a hard Karen in this moment. And oh, yeah is complaining about things that aren't actually there, right? So he starts off by being like, it's been- Karen scrub. Yes. Yeah, I mean, more or less, right? He's he's like, it's been 24 hours on this ghastly boat if it isn't a dream. Uh, And then he starts talking about the frightful storm that's been raging. And he goes, it's a good thing I'm not seasick. (laughs) He was. It's in writing. It's their word against his, and his is written down, so obviously he remembers better. Obviously, Eustace is right, and he's talking about these crazy waves in this storm, and everyone is pretending that it's not actually happening. And he goes, it's probably because of what uh, what Harold says, which again, Harold is his father, that he calls Harold, uh, and he goes, Harold says, one of the most cowardly things ordinary people do is to shut their eyes to the facts. Now, part of that is a semi-true statement. However... For them to be calling other people ordinary people is so elitist. It, yeah. I mean, look, Eustace got some Tucker Carlson vibes. Also, well punctuated computer noise. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, sometimes when you're doing a podcast, you get an email, and I've got to keep my volume up. That's it's true. So we we have other stuff going on than this podcast. Listen, Chase, if we were a professional podcast company, that would be extremely unprofessional of me. Uh, and that if we would were be, a professional podcast company, I would make a note of where that happened and edit it out instead of talking about it. But it's not going to work that hard. No, <laughs> There's uh, no way. But. Uh, we talk about, you know, he, we, he's talking about Harold, uh, you know, and his opinions on ordinary people uh, and how much the boat sucks and Caspian's really proud of it and as, as if it's the Queen Mary. Uh, and, you know, he's just dunking on this little crappy boat that's no bigger than a lifeboat. Uh, and then he starts, he sometimes he abbreviates people's names 
to E and L. E would be Edmund, L would be Lucy, C would be Caspian. Sometimes he doesn't, it doesn't matter, but they're like, ah, oh, no one realizes, like Lucy, because she's a kid, doesn't realize the danger. And Edmund is just buttering up Caspian uh, because everyone does, because, you know, they say he's a king, but I'm, I, I told him I'm a Republican, uh, but he had to ask what that meant, you know? And so apparently uh, Eustace, not a fan of the monarchy chase. Yes, so, which I mean, it's an opinion that you can have. It is an opinion I, you can have. I'm not entrenched enough in British politics to, uh, to really lean one way or the other. I enjoyed the series The Crown and therefore am rooting for Queen Elizabeth to not die. But I, man, I'm convinced Queen Elizabeth just won't die ever. Like, I think she's going to outlive all of her kids. I think at friends. a minimum, she wants to outlive Charles. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone wants her to outlive Charles. Like that's really, that's the only vibe. I think she is staying alive out of spite because she doesn't. She knows that her son sucks. If and you're if you're British, please leave us, uh, you know, a comment or send us a message. Who do you want to be the next monarch, uh, or do you want a monarch? Let us know. I mean, yeah, we would love to hear your opinions on that. Yeah, Should they uh, skip all the way to. Meghan Markle's kid. Man, what a what a shock that would be. What a twist take, in. Take a hard left turn out of even the traditional line. Season seven of the crowd nuts. Ignore Williams kids and go straight to Harris. Man, yeah, that uh that that season of the crown is gonna be crazy. Would Meghan Markle play herself because she's an actress? I would genuinely hope so. Would Oprah play herself? Because that scene would definitely be in that season of the, of the crowd. Markle plays both roles. That would be great. That's good I would too. love for Meghan Markle to play play every role in that. It's kind of like uh, she plays Harry too. Yeah, it's it makes sense. But um, so the, he continues just complaining about all the circumstances and his you know, terrible room, even though he's been given one of the nicest rooms all to himself. Uh, and he complains saying Lucy's been given a whole room, which is really nice to herself. And they, and Caspian says it's because she's a girl. Uh, he says, I tried to make him see what Alberta, his mother says that all that sort of thing is really lowering girls, but he was too dense. So basically like Eustace is just the worst. He's like, no, like, you shouldn't treat girls with respect and honor because all that does is uh, lower girls and make them worthy of less respect and honor. I mean, it's like, I get that there's times when things that people want to call chivalry can be like demeaning or like, but like giving her her own room is not being mean to her. Especially when she is surrounded by a bunch of grown men sailors. Especially when she's the only the only girl on this boat. Yeah, like no, this is not this is not inappropriate, but or, or like it is completely inappropriate for her to share a room. That would be crazy. Um, but he continues to complain and to grumble throughout his uh, throughout his uh, his diary entry, and he ends by talking about. Uh, this frightful mouse that has given him a whole lot of cheek uh, and that everyone puts up with him. But, you know, he's, he's going to show that mouse soon and he's going to try to twist his tail. Uh, and Chase, that's exactly what he does. Yeah. 
the how old is Eustace? I feel we like I asked these he, questions. He, he's younger than Lucy. He's younger. That's that's all we know. And so my guess is he's about as old as Lucy was in Witch in the Wardrobe. So maybe eleven or ten. It. It's almost a ten-year-old move to go grab an animal by the tail just because they think it's going to be funny. Oh, I I understand the the humor in this, but also this is a talking mouse that's two feet tall and has a sword, and has clearly played hostility towards you. I was just thinking, like the type of prank that this is does feel like a ten-year-old would, like totally. Just the non-thinking, like. Like, you know when someone gets tabletopped at the beach, but they do it on, like, the hard sand when the water's not there, and so they just end up getting hurt. Like, it feels like that. Yep. Swings Uh, him around a little bit longer than he should as well, but... Here's the thing. So, Reepicheep, it's it's said that Reepicheep, like... So, we we come upon this scene of uh, Eustace running into the little kitchen area where everyone's eating... Uh, and he's like, this, you know, little brute's trying to kill me. And Reepertube's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that if he, if I had known he was going to run in here, I wouldn't have, uh, you know, I would have waited for a more reasonable time for his correction. He's like, my bad, guys. I'm not trying to cause a scene. Uh, (laughs) What happened? I like thinking through what that means. He would have waited to beat him with his sword until the other people weren't there to hear about it. He's not trying to like embarrass him in front of everyone else. He's just sure. trying to teach him a lesson, you know. But what's happened is uh, we find out Reepichi likes to sit at the very front of the boat and just look out and see if he, you know, he, he likes to just chill on the little dragon head, which like very majestic of him, super cool. He's just chilling and letting his his like tail dangle down. And there's an opening in the mouth head where you can like go and uh, used to seize his tail grabs it and starts swinging him around, which, first of all, what if Reepichief had flown into the ocean? True. Also, like, the idea that you go further than, like, I would almost agree with you, sis, that it's a perfectly fine joke to just, like, briefly pull his tail. Sure. To pick him up by his tail, a part of his body, and swing him around, like... I've dislocated my shoulder many times in my life. If someone tried to pick me up by my arm, I would have a problem with it, let alone my tail, which is probably less less well uh, well secured than well, this is a bone this feel like torturing animals vibes and like that's like one of the the key you know factors of becoming like a serial killer. So, you know, I'm I'm very anti-Eustace uh, in here, but I'm also very biased towards Reepicheep, so I might not be the best judge. Uh, the fact that he knows that the mouse is not much heavier than a very large cat. Yeah, which means he swung oh, cats around before Chase. Eustace yeah, is on a dangerous path to becoming a serial killer, and I'm glad for the events of this book uh, that are going to change him. Uh, but he swings Reepicheep around, but because Reepicheep is a skilled fighter... He pulls out his sword, stabs Eustace in the hand a couple times, make him drop him. And then he's like, all right, uh, like, let's fight. And Eustace is like, yo, put that thing away. What are you doing? I'll tell Caspian. I'll have you muzzled. 
and you know reaper chief's like i dare you like make me please make my day yeah yeah reaper chief fully like challenges him to a duel says to draw his own sword and like calls him a poltroon I don't know what that means, but I don't you know like it. Means. I do not want to be called it. Yeah, if if someone's calling you a poultry, you better you better back off. You know uh, but yeah, Eustace is like, I don't have a sword. I'm a pacifist. What he just did was not a pacifist move. No. But yeah. Basically, Reepachieve needs satisfaction for the like dishonor that was just done to him. And so he decides to teach Eustace some manners. <laughs> and to Reepachieve, that means hitting him with the side of his sword over and over again to bruise him and, like, like punish He's him. He's basically taking a switch to him. Yeah. What is more alarming than that is C.S. Lewis's narrator take on why this is a bad experience for Eustace. Because basically the narrator gives an aside of like, well, Eustace, of course, was at a school where they don't have corporal punishment. So the sensation was quite new to him. The assumption there is that all schools Eustace would be a better kid if he got beaten at school with rods. Yes. Thoughts? Now, here's the thing. I, if you as a parent, like there are, I know there are very different views on, you know, spanking your kid. This is not that podcast, right? Uh, But in, you know, my opinion would be like in the privacy of your home, not as a tool of anger, not as a tool of shame, but punishing and disciplining your kid, you know, making sure that you're not hurting them or traumatizing them. That is one thing to have a completely random adult beat your child for different things is a wildly different entity. Yeah. It's uh it's not great. Like I don't, I tend to lean towards, you shouldn't hit children with objects in general, regardless of views on spanking. Like the idea that you would hit them with a switch or a like plank or whatever, or a sword in this case is, is something else. Not a fan, Kel. Hot take, not a fan. Of beating children. Even bad children don't need to be hit by their teachers. Fair. Arguably not the job of a teacher. Not the job of a teacher. And that's, that's the issue here, right? Is, uh, but views on, uh, you know, spanking your kid aside, I think everyone could see like, this is rough, right? Like this is, it's, it, that's hardcore. Um, especially like what if the sword rotates just a little bit? I mean, and, but, and now you're slicing into Eustace's butt. So, I mean, Lucy's got her cordial around. It'll be fine. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't regrow tails. Does it regrow butts, Chase? <laughs> this is a question for a different podcast. 
But, um, so the holy posts. Uh, yeah, dude, poop and regrown back butts. So that's what it is. Uh, and so is we, a butt a tail? I mean, it's my equivalent. So, Do, I mean, I feel like they serve different purposes. Maybe like here for cushion, not for uh, not for balance. But Maybe never know. Differently than mine, Chase. Maybe. Maybe I need to start doing some different workouts at the gym, and I would get better balance. I do uh, those, you know, Russian squats and stuff. So, uh, man, I'll start working on that. Yeah, uh, but he starts. So, all that to say, Rib Jeep is beating Edmund or Eustace, and, and he chases him into the room where everyone's in. And Eustace is trying to get everyone to like agree with him. And what? Even like the the paddling and stuff aside, what Rib Jeep was doing is like, hey, you have like caused me, you know, anguish. That's my tail. It's a sensitive part of me. We should duel. This isn't like a, a matter of honor. You've dishonored me. And now you refuse to duel me. You deserve to be caught, taught a lesson. The 10 duel commandments from Hamilton are playing in the background and then during this whole time. And he's trying to teach him the 10 duel commandments and Eustace doesn't like rap. Uh, so he's not listening. Uh, and this would definitely not like rap. No, that he, feels true to his character 100%. 100%. He's just gonna have some opinions on rap. Turn this trash music off. It's, it's, you know, can't even understand what they're saying. He uh, only listens to classical music with no words. He only listens to classical music by uh, musicians who have questionable histories. Uh, but he, so he, runs in and because Reaper Chief is like, well, you, I'm exacting my satisfaction one way or the other. And if you're not going to let me duel you and like prove to you that you are dishonorable, then I will dishonor you. Right. And so he runs in and Eustace is trying to plead his case. And everyone's like, no, we're on Reaper Chief's side here because one, you suck. Uh, and then two, like, no, duel, like duels are not like, like they are serious things. They're not something to be t- like held lightly. They start, you know, planning on like, how could we do this? Like, would we, you know, let him borrow a sword? Do we make him like lower himself because he's taller? You know, what do we do? And then Eustace is like, well, this is not going how I planned. So he apologizes and sulks back to his bedroom, uh, bandages his hand uh, and just goes and cries and doesn't lay on his side because that's where he got whooped. What a way to end a chapter. What a way to end a chapter. Corporal punishment, man. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Uh, but Chase, do you have anything else before we dive further up and further in? I don't think so. Cool. Well, I will start us off this time. Uh, Chase, further up and further in for me is setting the scene. This uh, one, we don't have a visual medium here, but if you can imagine a graphic page coming across, it says scene, but spelled S-E-A dash N-E. That's what I mean, because Chase, we are given basically the like the overarching plot of this book in this chapter where we're saying, Hey, what are the three main goals? Caspian tells us two of them. And then us as the readers uh, can discover the third one for ourselves. The first one, Hey, we're going to figure out the stories behind the seven Lords that left Uh, seven Lords of leaping, as they said. And we're going to figure out their stories, figure out what happened to them and try to discover some of this area around Narnia too. Reaper Chief wants to discover what is beyond the farthest reaches to the east and see if he can get to Aslan's country. And three, we have to find a way to make Eustace suck less. 
And those are the three overarching things that were going to happen on this ship in the sea. Uh, and hopefully we will discover our, all of these answers. Uh, and uh, it, it's going to be an exciting thing. But this is basically a chapter to just set the quest. And you're going to see this throughout a lot of stories, a lot of fiction of just like, hey, what are we trying to do? It's this. Uh, we're going to try to destroy the Horcruxes. We're going to try to blow up the Death Star. In this one, we're going to try to make Eustace suck less, which is probably equally as hard as blowing up the Death Star or destroying all of Voldemort's Horcruxes. But we will try. Yeah. Well, for my further up and further in, I'm uh, going to talk about just the way that the like narrative perspective shifts in this chapter between the kind of universal narrator and then Eustace as the narrator. And, and really the fact that we get to see multiple perspectives as we go through this book. It's an interesting way that C.S. Lewis does things in this book as opposed to the previous ones where we get to see uh, things from the kind of nice, happy, oh, yay, we're a Narnia perspective, and then the person who got dragged along. Um, and really, like, the way that you tell a story is so central to the story itself. Like a narrator's perspective really decides how we as the reader take in the information that we're getting. And so to give us uh, the same scenes from a different perspective, to give us like Eustace's journal entry or Eustace explaining his side of the story and his stuff with Reepicheep, that starts to give us the idea that, well, both, Yes, Eusis sucks, uh, but also that every story has multiple sides to it. Everything that we're getting, like if you think back to the other stories we've been through so far, like what if we had gotten scenes from Moraz's perspective? What if we had gotten scenes from the White Witch's perspective? It, it's more interesting as a storytelling structure to get, and not that Eusis is the bad guy here, but he kind of is at least right now, but to get the, the bad perspective, to get the more cynical take and to have that be something that contrasts as we go through. And I mean, when stories bring in different narrative structures, it just makes the story more dynamic. Like think about how game of Thrones switches in the book, every chapter in the show, like every half of an episode between the different uh, characters that are having their stories told. And as the story goes on, those come together more as this story goes on, Eustace's perspective, hopefully will start to converge with the other perspectives because this is in a way his redemption story. And he's just starting at a really low place. Saturday, January 29th, Captain's Log. We've uh, escaped the, the storm that is this terrible, terrible podcast. Uh, it's rough. It's raging. Uh, my crewmate is just the worst. He's disrespectful. He uh, And I grabbed him by his tail and flung him around. And all he did was yell at me that we could find, uh, you know, we could help this podcast uh, grow in, in listenership by rating and reviewing it and finding it and sharing it with all your friends, uh, wherever you find podcasts, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Audible, but I wouldn't hear it. I wouldn't hear it. And so I flung him around until he stabbed me uh, and then started beating me. 
uh, which is just really rude. And I didn't do anything to deserve this. Uh, but Chase, my my fellow podcaster, you know, sorry, I guess. Yeah. Like and subscribe if you want Kelly me to duel. <laughs> to the death in Super Smash Bros. Uh, Bye by me. I don't actually. I'm a pacifist. Uh, On video games too? (laughs) Depends on the video game. If it's like Farmville, sure. What what you're saying is you're a loser. You're a loser. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going to put it in such terms, Chase, but yeah. You know what, listeners? Like and subscribe if you want me and Chase to duel and I'm revoking my pacifism. Sounds great. See you there. Bye. <laughs> that was a long episode of this podcast. <laughs> that was a long one. That was about an hour. <laughs>